0: Would you join us in prayer? Dear God, thank you for this Sunday and that we are all together. Thank you for joining us all together just to worship and serve you. We thank you for the week that has passed with all the celebrations and family time that come with it. We thank you for the community we have, whether that be by family, by blood, or by blood that we have created. And for those of us who struggle with this time of year or maybe feel especially lonely or hopeless right now, please surround them with your love and your people. Fill us with a sense of belonging and a deeper understanding of your unconditional love for us.
1: We pray for safety everywhere along with peace and health. Lord, please be with the world right now, a world that is hurting and confused and darkened by evil. Lord, please shine through this darkness and give hope that only you can provide. Please bring peace where it seems like peace is impossible and to the places that it feels only hatred exists, please overflow them with your love. And Lord, as we enter into a season of Advent, keep us thankful for everything that you have done for us and everything you still do for us. Please slow us down and ready our minds and our hearts to receive you. Reveal your love to us in a new way this Christmas season and help us slow down enough to see how you are working in the obvious and extraordinary ways, but also in the daily and more ordinary moments.
0: Lord, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for all you have done for us. Please use this time and the passage from John and the words of Sean to draw us closer to you. We love you. Let us keep loving you forevermore. In your holy name,
1: amen. And now for our scripture reading. John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he res- revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of, Je- uh, of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, When they had finished
0: breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he said to him. Feed my lambs, he said to him a second time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he said to him. Tend my sheep, he said to him the third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he,
1: That this disciple was not to die yet jesus did not say to him that he was not to die but if it is my will that he remain until i come what is that to you this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things
0: and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true now there are also many other con- many other things that jesus did we were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the wor- world itself could not contain the books that would be written. We would now like to call Sean up for our sermon this morning.
2: Didn't they do great? Good job, Jenna and Sarah. And good morning as you can tell we are back in the gospel of john today and actually after three and a half years this is our last chapter in john our last passage in john amazing we began this uh, book with me preaching in my house (laughs) if you were around at that time the pandemic had just started and i began preaching in my living room But we'll finish today by God's grace. Well, thanks to Brian for taking last week as I was sick and uh, I still have a lingering cough, so I'm praying that it won't hit me for the next 35 minutes. But the text we skipped last week was an appearance of the risen Jesus specifically for Thomas. So this was at the end of chapter 20. And that appearance established Thomas as a first-hand eyewitness of the risen Jesus, which means he can now be a sent one. He can go and tell the good news. He's authorized to go and tell the good news of the gospel. <clears throat> but more importantly, in that encounter, Thomas made the greatest declaration in the Gospel of John. If you remember, the kids acted it out perfectly, uh, if you were here last week. After the, the encounter, Thomas declares, My Lord and my God. It's the greatest declaration in all the Gospels, really. John had begun his gospel saying in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And now after three years, Jesus, the Word, is finally confessed to be God. It's an extraordinary scene. Jesus then closed that scene by pronouncing a beatitude. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. As someone has said, here is Christ's final beatitude, now pronounced over the billions of people who have believed in him since he walked the earth, including those of you in this room. So now, after that high water mark, Thomas's confession you may ask, why is there one more chapter? (laughs) Why is there a chapter 21 to John? Some people do in fact think that chapter 21 is an add-on to the gospel. I don't think so, for there are no known copies of John that are missing chapter 21. But also, there is still significant unfinished business surrounding Peter, the lead disciple of the 12. John doesn't want to leave Peter's story hanging. After all, the gospel began with a story about Peter. In chapter one, Andrew brings his brother Peter, Simon, sorry, Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. Kephas and Peter, of course, come from the word rock in the Greek. But by the end of chapter 20, Peter still has not yet become rocky. And John cannot leave Peter's story unfinished. So we have chapter 21. which is the risen Jesus' third appearance to a group of disciples. It's his fourth appearance in the gospel, but it's his third one to a group of disciples. And this appearance is all for Peter's sake. It's interesting. In Mark, the angel at the empty tomb had told the women to go tell the disciples and Peter (laughs) to go to Galilee and Jesus would meet them there. Notice Peter is singled out. Go tell the disciples, and Peter. So when Jesus reveals himself by the Sea of Galilee, it's all for Peter. Now before we get into the story today, I want to share the main point of this chapter. I think it will help us set our bearings. Here's the main point. Jesus being alive after his crucifixion impacts all of human existence. Along with Peter's story, what John wants us to know before we leave his book is this. Because Jesus lives, when you believe in him, The full scope of human existence is impacted. Jesus being alive strongly impacts our future, strongly impacts our present, and strongly impacts our past. So let me explain. Because Jesus lives, we who believe in him now have a new hope-filled future. Nothing that threatens to undo us can destroy him or us. That's real hope. And because Jesus lives, we who believe in him now have a new present. Every moment of every day is now lived with him. We're never alone. That's really great news, isn't it? And because Jesus lives, we who believe in him now get a new past. It sounds strange, doesn't it? But wonder of wonders, it's true. As strange as it sounds, this is what Jesus does for Peter in chapter 21. He rewrites Peter's past so that... Peter can now be free to enter into a new present and a new future. And he will do the same for us if we allow him to. Okay, so let's now enter our text today. As we walk through our passage, I'm not going to read it again. So I invite you to keep the text and the worship guide in front of you as we go. <clears throat> In the first few verses, what we find is that Peter and the other disciples have gone back to fishing. This is the one thing they knew how to do before Jesus called them into discipleship. Many commentators are troubled by this fact. They find it hard to believe that men who had actually seen the resurrected Jesus would so quickly go back to their old way of life. But is that so difficult to imagine? I mean, look at us. Now, we haven't seen Jesus in the same way as they had, but we do believe he's alive, don't we? Amen? We know that by his death, he has conquered the power of sin, evil, and death. We know he's the Lord of all creation. And we know that his kingdom, his new world order, is breaking into the world. And yet... We keep going back to business as usual, don't we? We keep living according to old patterns of life, don't we? We keep living as if nothing has really happened, don't we? The fact that Peter and the others went back to fishing makes the story all the more believable. Peter and the others still have not come to grips with the resurrection. I mean, even though Jesus had predicted it, and they had seen him alive, there was simply no historical precedence for the resurrection. So when it happened, it simply didn't fit into any real-life paradigm. And as we all know, from our experience, changing our worldview takes time. And it was taking time for these men to get used to the fact that the man crucified on the cross was really alive. And they weren't sure what to do with it. They were confused. They were disoriented. And they did what the rest of us do when we are confused and disoriented. They went back to their comfort zone. They went fishing. But for Peter, it's a little different. It's more than simply confusion and disorientation, which has caused him to go back to fishing. In his mind, he feels unworthy to be a disciple. Peter feels unworthy of a relationship with the risen Jesus. Because of his denials, as far as he's concerned, he's disqualified himself from this new reality. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you were disqualified from being a disciple of Jesus? I have. Yes, all the others have or had deserted Jesus, but Peter specifically disowned his friend, even after saying he wouldn't. In that courtyard, in chapter 18... While Jesus was being interrogated, Peter denies any knowledge of Jesus, not once, but three times. I am not, I am not, I am not. And as a result, he thinks he's disqualified from discipleship. Luke tells us that, that when Peter denies Jesus the third time, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And Peter ran out of the courtyard weeping bitterly. Now I'm sure Peter could not forget that look on Jesus' face. The video clip continued to repeat in his head and it simply would not stop. Peter couldn't forgive himself. And the guilt and the shame over his failures kept him kept him from entering into the joyful new resurrection reality. He was being held captive by his past. Now, I I think, I believe that Peter believes that Jesus is really alive. The empty tomb and the two appearances back in Jerusalem made that clear. But Peter is unable to enter into and enjoy the new present and the new future because of his tormented past. So he did what we all do. He retreated. He escaped. Back to that which he knew best, where he felt most comfortable, he went fishing. Now, I think we all can relate to Peter at this point, can't we? We all know his struggle, don't we? We understand being held back from the abundant life in Jesus because of the unfinished business of the past, don't we? Some of us weighed down by guilt over past actions. Some of us weighed down by memories of horrible things that have happened to us. Some of us being weighed down by bitterness over past hurts. And Peter was unable to enter into what he knew to be true. He could not embrace the new present and the new future because of an unresolved past. And that is why Jesus appears on that beach to set Peter free. Now, I guess Jesus could have done this in a number of different ways. Perhaps back in Jerusalem, he could have set Peter free. But Jesus chose This place, specifically, why? Why this beach by the Sea of Galilee? Because it was at that beach where Jesus first called Peter into discipleship. Some three years ago, Jesus was teaching the multitudes on that beach. Luke tells us that after he was done teaching, Jesus turned to the fishermen, Peter, James, and John, and said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. At first, Peter protests, saying they've spent all night fishing and caught nothing. I mean, Peter clearly knows more about fishing than that land guy, Jesus. But Peter relents. He does what Jesus says. And they catch so much fish that their boat begins to sink. Peter is so amazed. He's so amazed. He falls at Jesus' feet and he says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Remember how Jesus responds? He says, don't be afraid, Peter. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Peter leaves everything and follows him. That was on that beach three years ago. Jesus had granted that broken, sinful fisherman the gift of discipleship. At the beginning of the journey, Peter discovered grace Grace that Jesus calls us to himself simply on the basis of grace. But that was three long years ago. And that was before that fateful night when Peter had denied Jesus. And as far as Peter was concerned, that threefold denial had disqualified him from catching people. And now... Jesus, once again, returns to that beach with Peter. Jesus is taking Peter back to the beginning. Back to the foundation of grace. That beach is all about grace. Grace means you can start over again. And that's what Jesus gives to Peter in chapter 21. A new start. And don't we all need new starts every now and then? Now watch how Jesus does it. Because it's awesome. In verse 4, John tells us that Peter and the other disciples were in a boat about 100 yards from shore. They'd been fishing all night, again. I'm told him that fishing in the Sea of Galilee is best at night. So they fished all night and hadn't caught anything, again. At daybreak, Jesus appears on the beach, but they don't immediately recognize him. Why? For one thing, they're not expecting Jesus to show up at work. I mean, who expects Jesus to show up at work? Do you expect Jesus to show up at work? For another thing, although he's the same Jesus, there is something different about him. Jesus then yells at them from the shore, children, do you have any fish? (laughs) Children, It's a tender and intimate term for his disciples. No, they yell back. So Jesus responds, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. At this point, I have to imagine the disciples looking at one another and saying, we've heard this before, haven't we? (laughs) And when they cast it on the other side, they were not able to haul in the catch because of the quantity of fish. Now, for those of you who have journeyed over these last three and a half years, you'll know that abundance is a major theme in this gospel. In chapter 2, Jesus turned water into an abundance of vintage wine. In chapter 6, Jesus provided an abundance of bread and fish for 10,000 people. In chapter 10, Jesus, the good shepherd, promised an abundant life for his sheep. And here he is, at it again, chapter 21, an abundance of fish. 153 large fish, to be exact. (laughs) That's a big catch. So what does John mean by 153 fish? What does he mean by the number 153? Answer? I don't know. (laughs) But but if I were fishing all night and hadn't caught anything, I would count every single one too. No one's quite sure what 153 means, which means there are entire books written on it. But it probably refers to mission in some way, meaning when the risen Jesus is present, mission will be abundantly fruitful. With the risen Jesus present, people will be drawn to him and will be caught by him. So when they catch this load of fish, it clicks for John, the beloved disciple. Verse 7. He recognizes that it's Jesus. But as at the empty tomb, back in Jerusalem, Jesus or John sees first, but Peter acts first. Peter goes for it. He immediately puts his outer garment on to swim to shore. In that time, it was customary to always greet someone with your outer garment on. I guess it's no different from today. So Peter puts his outer garment on, jumps in, and starts swimming to shore. When he gets to shore, he sees that Jesus has prepared a breakfast of fish and bread for the disciples. And once they all get there, he serves the disciples the fish and the bread. The gospel began with Jesus' command to come and see. It ends with Jesus' command to come and see and eat. Now what's extraordinary here, don't miss this, is that Jesus serves them. Isn't that amazing? Even in his resurrection, he's still serving. He's still a servant. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He's still serving because that's what his kingdom is all about. John says that Jesus had prepared the fish and the bread over a charcoal fire. Now, for those of you who are with me in chapter 18, you know where I'm going now. John is always careful with his details. And so here, it's a charcoal fire. And why a charcoal fire? because that's exactly the place where Peter denied Jesus three times, around a charcoal fire. The part of Peter's past that's holding him captive and holding him from entering into the new present and the new future is all tied up with a charcoal fire. I said it back in chapter 18, I'll say it again. In Liberia, charcoal is a common product to sell so there's charcoal fires everywhere for me every time I smell a charcoal fire I mentally go back to Liberia and for me it evokes really great memories but can you imagine what this sight and smell conjures up for Peter Can you imagine the pain Peter must have felt when he got to shore, looked up, saw and smelled a charcoal fire and Jesus standing next to it. Over the last few weeks, it had been bad enough in Jerusalem every time Peter had encountered the charcoal smell. And now here it is again, Along with Jesus. Here they stand, face to face, eye to eye, around a charcoal fire set intentionally by Jesus. See, Jesus was forcing Peter to face the unfinished business of his past. Jesus is meeting Peter in that pain that is keeping Peter from moving into his new life. And I think it tells us that we need to be careful when we want to run from pain. Not all pain is destructive. Some is. But some pain leads to growth and wholeness. Some pain might just be the result of the good shepherd looking for a lost sheep. Now watch what Peter, what Jesus does with Peter. After eating breakfast, as Peter is staring at the charcoal fire and he's smelling the smoke, his mind begins playing the old video clip Does he see the servant girl who first questioned his association with Jesus? Does he hear her words? You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Does he hear himself say, I am not? While this is running through his mind, Jesus catches his eyes. He asks Peter an interesting question. Verse 15, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice he is Simon. He's not yet rocky. But what does Jesus mean by more than these? Was Jesus asking whether Peter loved him more than these men love him? Maybe. Or was he asking whether Peter loved him more than he loves these other men? Maybe. Or was he asking whether Peter loves him more than he loves these nets and the boat? I tend to lean toward this option Simon, do you love me more than that which you know best? Do you love me more than that which makes you comfortable? And looking at Jesus across the charcoal fire, Peter answers Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. I can imagine this being a little bit of a tense moment. How will Jesus respond to Peter? Will Jesus rub Peter's failure in his face? Well, Peter, why did you let me down then? Answer, no. Jesus looks at Peter and says, feed my lambs. Wow. If that would have been me, I would have smeared it all over Peter's face. Not Jesus. Feed my lambs. I can imagine Peter kind of looking around and saying, who, me? You're talking to me? You're going to trust your lambs to me? Peter looks down at the charcoal fire again. This time, does he see the soldiers warming their hands over the fire? Does he hear their question to him? You also are not one of his disciples, are you? Does he hear himself respond, I am not? And while this clip is running through his mind, Jesus looks at him a second time and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And for the second time, Peter responds with, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. It's another tense moment. What will Jesus say this time? Will he chew him out this time? Answer no. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Tend my sheep. And for the third time, Peter looks down at the charcoal fire. And this time, does he see the servant of the high priest and hear his question to him? Did I not see you in the garden with Jesus? Does he hear his response again? I am not. Does he then hear the the rooster crow? And while that clip is running, Jesus looks at Peter for a third time and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, John says Peter is grieved because Jesus asked him a third time. This is probably because Peter doesn't understand yet what's happening. He doesn't understand why this has to happen three times. And he responds with, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. For sure Jesus will drop the hammer now, won't he? (laughs) You've got an integrity problem, Simon. Once again, no. Jesus looks at Peter and says, feed my sheep. I'm entrusting my people into your care. Then verse 19. Peter hears those same words Words he thought he'd never hear from Jesus again. Those words he thought he was disqualified from ever hearing again. Follow me. Simon, I know who you are, and I want you to follow me. Wow. Do you see what Jesus has done? And do you see why this has to be the conclusion to this gospel? I mean, it's so wonderful, isn't it? Jesus has healed Peter by rewriting his past. From now on, whenever Peter would see a charcoal fire, he would remember a different past. I mean, I'm sure he would not have forgotten his three denials. But from now on, he would also remember that around a charcoal fire, he had affirmed his love for Jesus three times. From now on, a charcoal fire, the sight and the smell will trigger a new video clip in which he sees Jesus cancel out his three denials. And he sees Jesus accept him and restore him into fellowship. And he hears Jesus commission him with shepherding Jesus' flock. Simon can now become rocky. He can become the rock that the early church will need moving forward. As someone has said, the good shepherd had found a wounded sheep stuck in the thicket of the past, and he came and he freed him. The enemies of the past had been dealt with. Peter will no longer be looking backward. And he could now move into a new present and a new future. And you know what? Jesus can do the same for us. We don't need to look backward either. If you remember back in Jerusalem, when Jesus showed his wounds to his disciples, part of what he was saying was that it's safe to run right into those wounds, right into those wounds with all of our guilt and shame and pain, and those wounds will absorb all of it. but there's still one more thing one more thing that was keeping peter from moving forward the last five verses and i'm going to invite the worship team up here as i as i close peter was still comparing himself to other people peter was still looking around at other disciples to see if he measured up to being a disciple After Jesus told Peter about what would happen to him in the future, Peter looks at John and says, Lord, what about this man? Jesus responds, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. I think he's saying the same thing to us as we leave this book. As we now go from here, don't look backward, but also don't look sideways in comparison. By the way, that sideways look of comparison is what social media is all about, isn't it? You young people can tell me that. (laughs) We need to be careful with that, don't we? Don't look backwards and don't look sideways. Look at Jesus. You follow him. Keep your eyes on him. If it's Jesus' will for others to do other things and remain longer, what is that to you? You follow Jesus the Good Shepherd, into a new present and a new future. Amen. Well, right now, before we do go back into the noise of the world, especially at this time in the year, I'd like for us just to take a moment and just reflect over this this extraordinary text as the band plays, I'd like for us to ask ourselves, what is our charcoal fire? In other words, what's, what's holding you back from entering into and enjoying this, the abundant life that Jesus wants to give you? For a moment, don't ignore it. Don't run from it. For a moment, let the risen Good Shepherd meet you there and ask the the risen Good Shepherd to meet you in the guilt or the shame or the anger or the resentment or the bitterness or the fear or the failure or the memory. the comparison. Ask him to reveal his grace and his truth to you. I can't promise that something will happen right now in this instant, but what I can promise is that when we invite the good shepherd to the charcoal fire, he will one day set us free. And we will be free indeed because this new world this new world that he died to bring into being is grounded in grace now receive this benediction as you go from here don't look backwards don't look sideways instead fix your eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. He died and was buried, but that did not end the story. Wonder of wonders, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Good job. And he now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is with you always through his spirit, to the very end of the age. Amen.